flames are pouring from the buildings now. This car toppled, building entirely just crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I I really need to leave. So the fences inform me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I I see some people running now. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation or in fact the world ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. to another exciting episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag, along with me, as always, is my co-host, the nuclear Rob Kelly. How you doing, buddy? Hmm. Rob? Hmm? Hey. Fine. Oh, hey, I'm buddy. sorry. I was just uh, checking the uh, Aquaman movie box office totals. It just keeps going up. It's it's unbelievable, really. I'm yeah, sorry. I, I, was a little to, distracted. I, want, I want to talk are about that. Are we starting the show? When are we recording now? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, and I want oh, to say I'm really oh. sorry. I heard about that. I heard the box office wasn't quite what people were anticipating. Cause, uh, <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I heard it's not really doing that well. I mean, come on. It's it's it's. We kind of expected that, right? It's an Aquaman movie. We've been talking about for a year how it might flop. So I'm really sorry that it's not doing very well, buddy. <laughs> how many zeros in a zeros in a billion? <laughs> Do we have to talk about Aquaman? Do we have to talk about Aquaman again? I think you do. No, no, no. me we weren't going to talk about Aquaman. No, no, I'm very happy to bring the fire in this particular episode. <laughs> yes, folks. For once, for the first time in over a year, we're actually going to do a Firestorm-centric episode. Can you believe this? We are going to do reviews of the classic Fury of Firestorm comic book. One of the things that we love, love or I love about doing this show, the last time we did it was December 2007. Seriously, over a year ago. In fact, that topic was, I don't know if you remember, it was Firestorm number 40 at 40. The whole point is we were celebrating yes. his 40th birthday doing issue 40. Well, now he's more than 41 years old. This is ridiculous how long it's taken us. All because of stupid Aquaman. You know, <laughs> we spent this whole year talking about it. Aquaman, 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 Aquaman. And, and that must be why it made a billion dollars. That's the only thing I can think of is that our promotions did it, right? Absolutely. We we are turning the world upside down in pop culture. So I'm going to totally take credit for it. And now, after night, next week, we've got to start talking about Aquaman 2. So oh my let's, let's, let's enjoy this week of Firestorm. Well, just think about what your episode last week did with video comics, what that's going to do for that industry. I mean, that alone should just <laughs> full-on come back. I'm expecting video comics to debut on Netflix very soon. <laughs> 
Uh, so, folks, yes, I am thoroughly excited to be back talking about the Nuclear Man. It's been so long. Uh, my passion for Firestorm has gotten reignited tremendously. I'm back on social media posting stuff on uh, Firestorm fan. It's It's been great. But before we get too much further, before I my, my exuberance runs away with these, we need to take a moment to thank our sponsor. Folks, this episode of the Fire & Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. So what would you bring this time, Rob? Well, of course, if you're talking classic Firestorm, you're talking Jerry Conway. So Ooh. I uh, went right over the plate and I picked Tales of the Batman, Jerry Conway, Volume 1, the hardcover. It's all stories of the Batman written by our your friend and mine, Jerry Conway. Uh, features many, many different great artists. The, it says the cover's by Jim Starlin, but it looks like a paro to me. I don't know if it's Jim Starlin. But anyway, the inside stories, uh, among other artists, are by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise his, his name. name. Uh, it reprints Batman numbers 295, 305, 306, 337, Batman Family 17, Brave and the Bold 158, 161, 171 through 174, Detective 463, 464, 479, 497, 499, 501, 504, Man Bat number one. Remember that? Man Bat. <laughs> and World's Finest number 250 and 269, which is, of course, the Buried Alive story, which I covered on Find Your Joy a couple of weeks ago. Wow. How many, what how an, many pages is that? It's an amazing collection. It's 440 pages. Uh, I love the trade dress on these things. They're really beautiful. It's a big up close-up shot of Batman and then like a little detail of the Joker. And you've got this banner and the logo straight ahead. I think it's a really handsome looking book. Normal price is $49.99 in stock. Trades price $28.99. That's 42% off. I, I mean, come on. Jerry Conway writing Batman. You know you're going to love it. This is this looks like a great collection. And again, plus you get Man Bat number one. How many times you get to say that? <laughs> now, I uh, I don't have my numbers in front of me, so this is off the top of my head. But you mentioned several issues of Brave and the Bold. Yes. I wonder if one of those includes the one with Batman and Firestorm, because Jerry wrote that one. So I, I think so, because I think the one with Firestorm is 171, and that's that's one of the ones listed here. That would be amazing. It, it actually gets referenced in the letters page that the comics we're covering today, because Jerry forgot something in one of the issues of Brave and the Bold. And in the letters page, somebody calls him out on it. And he's like, well, you know, I think Crisis retconned that. I don't think that story ever happened now. So, anyway. <laughs> Way to go, Jerry. Lean in on the crutch of the crisis early I'm on. Gonna, I'm going to use that in my regular life. <laughs> right, exactly. So, all right. Well, let's see. You had 440 pages? Jeez. How can I top that? Oh, with how about 512 pages? I'm going with Crisis on Infinite Earths Companion Deluxe Hardcover Volume 1. Now, remember, back when Crisis came out, all those comics had the banner across the top that said, you know, Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover. Sometimes it was just Red Skies. Sometimes it was more. Anyway, this volume here collects a whole bunch of comic books. It has, well, according to the entry, it has Justice League of America 244, Angel Number 3, Green Lantern 194, Wonder Woman, and it's got a bunch. Wonder Woman, The Losers, Infinity Inc., DC Comics Presents, Omega Men, Blue Devil, New Teen Titans, All-Star Squadron, and Fury of Firestorm. I have the digital version of this trade, and it doesn't have all these comics. So hmm. I, I'd have to go back and check to make sure that actually lines up. But either way, it's written by Marv Wolfen. Uh, well, Crisis was. He didn't write all the crossovers, obviously. Some of the art, let's see, it's got some Joe Staten art. It's got Jerry Ordway art. Either way, one of the things I want to point out is this volume actually reprints a couple of issues from Crisis, uh, I'm sorry, from Fury of Firestorm. Almost nothing out of Fury of Firestorm is reprinted. So this is one of the few opportunities you can get a reprint of Fury of Firestorm. It includes two of the issues we're going to cover today, 41 and 42, so that's pretty sweet. Normally retails for $75. You can get on in-stock trades for $43.50. $43 seems like a lot of money. However, again, that's half the price, and it's 512 pages of Crisis, you know, crossover. I mean, it's just awesome. So, uh, again, I'm sorry, 42% off. So, for these and all your trade paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades Com. Go up to the contact us button and let them know that you heard about it on the Fire and Water podcast. So awesome. All 
right, man. So pretty much, um, I guess this episode's just me talking and you not talking. Is that how that works? Uh, yes, I'm perfectly happy to take a back seat on this one. <laughs> you know, in fact, I've, been, I've been talking a lot lately. If you want, you don't even have to be here. You could just record yourself like making a sighing noise every few minutes, and I can just play it as backtrack, and that that would probably work about the same. I have a bank of those, so yeah, I can just send you one. I don't even have to record anything new. Perfect, and then you can just you can sync up all those. It's hot, or she's hot, and that would work too. <sighs> she's hot. There you go. Perfect. Done. Done. All right, folks. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs> so what we're gonna do here is to make up for lost time because of Aquaman, 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 Aquaman. We are going to cover eight comic books today, spanning seven months of Firestorm publication history. So you're going to get a whole boatload of Firestorm. But we're going to do it a little bit higher level than we normally do. Let's just jump right in. So I'm sorry, I should tell you what we're covering. We're covering Firestorm Annual number three, and then we're going to jump into, because uh, last time we left off at Fury of Firestorm number 40, which leads to the annual, then leads to Fury of Firestorm number 41. We're going to go all the way up to 47, and we're going to cover an issue of Blue Devil that's part of a crossover, Blue Devil number 23. Uh, I sort of broken this down into chunks. So the first thing, again, we'll talk about is going to be this annual. So it was on the shelves, August 15th, 1985. Cover is by Raphael Cannon and Dick Giordano, and it is a gorgeous freaking cover. Rob, do you have this cover in front of you, by the way? I do. So tell me, what, what do you think of this one? I like it. It's interesting in that it's there's no like blurbs or anything. It's just a stock shot of Firestorm and Martin and Ronnie Raymond. I mean, it's great looking. It wouldn't surprise me if this had been done for some sort of piece of licensing art or mm. like an RPG and then they just dusted it off and put it on because it's it's such a postery image that I'm surprised that it's the cover of a comic book. You generally didn't see images like this at this point in comics. They had to have a little more action and all and virtually all the other covers that we're going to get to are total action scenes. And then this one is, you know, you could see this almost as a who's who list. Yeah, it's one of the greatest pieces of Firestorm stock art ever created. It's wonderful. Uh, people repurpose it all the time. In fact, my desktop wallpaper was which was made by a Firestorm fan actually is it's got all the stuff on it. But the central image is these images of Ronnie and Professor are uh, sort of grayed out, like they're merging, and then Firestorm's bold in the middle. It's a gorgeous image. I think everyone agrees it's fantastic. Outside of, like, your classic Pat Broderick stuff, I think this is the image people think of first when they think of classic hmm. Firestorm. It, it's just wonderful. All right. And once you get inside, it's written by Jerry Conway, penciled by Raphael Cannon, and the inkers are Ian Aiken and Brian Garvey. And the story is called Sparks. All right, here's a quick recap of it. Uh, it's Ronnie and Professor Stein's last week living in New York before moving to Pittsburgh. Now, if you remember, that's where we left off last time as they're getting ready to move to Pittsburgh. And, of course, there's trouble. The Statue of Liberty ends up getting damaged in a fight between Firestorm and some modern-day pirates. As and, it, and this is due because of Firestorm's powers go a bit wonky on him. Now, after the fight, to determine what's going on with their powers, which has been a theme for the last past few issues, Professor Stein and Ronnie study the nature and limits their powers by flying to the sun. Yes, they fly to the sun. Uh, they determine that the increased sunspot activity has affected their powers, diminishing some of their previous power levels. Now, back home, Professor Stein's colleagues at Concordance Research surprise him with a Bon Voyage party, which Stein doesn't really appreciate. And we're also reminded that Ronnie's father is engaged to Felicity Smoke, the woman who's suing Firestorm for superhero malpractice. You might know that name. That's the character on Arrow, who's uh, Ollie's, I guess, wife, girlfriend, something like that. Now, throughout the issue, there's been this subplot going on about this strung-out drug addict in Miami named Frito. Turns out that the increased sunspot activity has granted Frito electrical superpowers. Frito's out of his mind, desperate for his next drug fix, and, he's, and ends up terrorizing Miami. Firestorm flies down there, confronts Frito, who's now called Sparks, and ends up stopping the villain, but Frito dies in the altercation. So that's the short version. Uh, it's obviously much longer. It's a you know a double-sized length issue. Uh, Rob, what do you think of the annual? 
Uh, I was okay. Um, Sparks is Sparks. <laughs> I didn't know. Um, I, I did enjoy some of the beats in this. Um, I liked the whole thing about uh, in the the early exchange on, on the um, Statue of Liberty, and then you get the guy saying, "Wait till wait till the news gets a hold of this. Can you see the headlines?" And then smash cut to Firestorm blows it, which I just thought was a good comedy beat. Like I enjoyed that. And then the scene with Felicity and the dad, and then she gets all snuggly with him. Right. She calls him lover in front of his son. It's like that's creepy, and he's like, "Oh, terrific." I think that term is uh, something like a previous generation term that's just been lost on our generation. Like, yeah, nobody, nobody used, used that. that term. Yeah, that, that's like code for like you're sharing too much or being a creep. Uh, in terms of the <laughs> in terms of the art, I love how much Raphael Kanan leaned into the filth of the hotel that yeah. Frida was in. <laughs> I mean, this place is such a shithole. It's really, really funny. And like, I don't know, like really, I mean, I know there are hotels that are that bad, certainly in, in the major cities, so probably Miami, it's even worse. But uh, but I did that one panel of her. She's going out the door and like right. you will literally see like the exposed brick through mm-hmm. the wall. <laughs> And the, like, and the mirrors cra- mirror or the windows cracked and all this stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's it's totally horrid. And, uh, one, this sounds stupid, but the one thing I do like about this is that they don't glamorize drug use in this thing at all. No, they make oh, it look no. like drug users' lives are the worst. Yeah, winners don't you don't do drugs. Right. Uh, and then the other thing that made me laugh is uh, Martin Stein's drawings of himself and Firestorm yes. on the chalkboard. I love the chalkboard drawings of their little <laughs> stick figures. Those are hysterical. So, time to make the stick figure with flaming hair, though. Yeah, yeah. And so anyway, no, I thought it was an okay story sparks as a villain just didn't do a whole lot for yeah. me but um but i liked all the firestorm stuff i mean you know it's jerry conway doing firestorm and and so but so yeah every time it kind of veered into the the, the superhero plot i kind of was like eh, all right this isn't anything that great and i don't like I don't know why this needed to be an annual. Like I feel like you could have done this as a regular issue. It didn't need to be forty pages, yeah, necessarily. Um, but it's but it's you know it was fine. It was fine. I hate to, I wish I could say something a little more interesting than that, but it was it was fun. I think the purpose of the story is to explore Firestorm's powers and talk about where what its powers can do now and things like that. I think that's really what it is. And it's almost like Sparks was added just to give them you know because oh it's a superhero comic we got to have a fight. You know it's right. almost like Sparks was added just for that purpose. Yeah, the su- the superpowers thing is interesting because I guess either somebody felt like. Firestorm's powers were too unquantifiable or they felt like he's too powerful. And so they, they purposely tell us in the story that he has been depowered. The first thing is they, they identify that the direct source of Firestorm energy is the sun. They say that it's the largest fusion reactor in the solar system and that's where his power comes from. I don't know that that ever gets mentioned again, but mm. it, it's pretty prominent in this one. And then they talk about uh, limitations. I mean, it's almost like, you know, this is about the same time the role-playing game came out, right? So, like, my mind obviously sinks to that going, okay, so what, they're almost setting benchmarks for a role-playing game. They're saying, okay, he, he now has a limitation. When he lowers his density like phasing, he can't use his blast or his transmutation. And now his blast and transmutation have a range of 10 meters. I mean, that's a very RPG term right there. His limit on mass transmutation is now 10 tons, so he can't transform a whole building anymore. He can only transform, you know, five cars or, you know, or whatever. It, it is interesting how they decide to limit that. that. For me, probably, and this, this is a little weird, but the most interesting thing about this annual for me is what it actually is not. Um, there was a rumor for a long time that this annual was actually something else repurposed. And I've done a little research on it. And I'm like, no, I don't think that's true. Because what happened was in the 1980s, uh, Jerry Conway kept promising that there was going to be a Firestorm original graphic novel that was going to be right. published. Yep. Right. It was going to be called Corona. 
And it was supposed to be Jerry Conway and Pat Broderick. And they discussed it in the letters pages all the time. They discussed it in the Amazing Heroes, those preview magazines. And in an issue of Amazing Heroes, it misidentified something. It showed panel one of this comic, which is where Firestorm's floating over the boats. Um, they showed page one of this comic book in, in Amazing Heroes and identified it as the graphic novel. They said, here's a page from the graphic novel, which was wrong. But And so, and, and if you think about it, this story is named Sparks, and they're discovering the nature of Firestorm's powers, and it's called, you know... And, and they go out literally to the sun's corona, and that was supposed to be the name of the of the graphic novel. Everyone assumed that this annual was just repurposing the old story ideas that never got done in the graphic novel. And that was like a prevailing theory for a long time. I heard that for years. Oh, no, annual number three, that's just a graphic novel redone. Well, it's not true. The more research I do, it appears the graphic novel was actually still being worked on. If you look at the Amazing Heroes entries that came out at the same time as this, Jerry's talking about, oh, I just finished writing the script and all this stuff. And the graphic novel, turns out, as we're fi- I found out, was was actually supposed to be something about Firehawk. It was going to be changing the nature. Oh. Yeah, it was going to change the nature of Firehawk and Firestorm's relationship. And a couple of years ago, Pat Broderick found two pages in a box. He found two pages of the graphic novel and posted them on Facebook. And they are very different from this. It's uh, one's like it looks like a completely naked Firehawk. Uh, who's on fire and looks like she's almost going in the sun or something like that. It's very strange. It's very different. Anyway, it's it's uh, it's a very different thing. So Corona is still a mystery, and I'm still putting together some research about it. I'm going to post it at some point or another. But so this that to me it's interesting for what this is not, which we all thought it was for a very long time. Hmm. A that's a that's a, right that's a shame. I mean, geez, I mean, the Firestorm graphic novel would have been cool by Pat Broderick and Jerry Conway. I know. Yeah. And some of it still know. exists. Ugh. Personally, I am in love with the artwork in this thing. I think Raphael Kingannon did a great job. I'm a fan of the inkers of Aiken and Garvey for uh, for KNN. I think this graphic, I think this uh, annual looks really, really sharp. I was very pleased with how it came out. Yeah, I, I will. We'll, I guess we can get into it now because we have a couple more like this. I am not a fan of this combo. I like Aiken and Garvey as inkers, and mm-hmm. I certainly like Raphael Cannon KNN as an artist. I like him a lot, but uh, but I don't think they're a good combo. I just I think he, I like his scratchy sort of dynamic style, and then their stuff. Everybody looked kind of lumpy, and, and I don't know just to me it's a weird it's a weird combo so i'm not a not a fan of this particular pairing hmm. i think he does a great job smoothing stuff like you like the scratchiness canon i like the dynam the dynamic look of king and i love his poses his action he did everything looks very dynamic and in motion and i feel like they sort of round it off and make it look very superhero um i like it together so yeah, i can see that well we're going to see another option as we get going we're going to see another anchor later on in fact by the way by the end of this podcast we're going to say goodbye to Raphael cannon on fire which is a huge oh, no. disappointment i know yeah. oh i do want to mention i i the one other page i wanted to mention is when they uh, firestorm goes super high up and he mm-hmm. gets sick because he feels like he's so high up. Yeah, I love that sequence where he's hiding his eyes and they even talk about you know where he's like Ronald, you were in a Justice League satellite and he's like that was twenty two thousand miles straight up. He's like yeah, but that was in a building and it was it we had gravity and it, it, it didn't seem like a real. I, I thought that was a very nice human moment for Jerry to give like because we see superheroes flying through space all the time. Exactly, you know, and it's no big deal. And then he recalls that scene from Avengers: Infinity War where Spider Man's on the rocket and he's actually in outer space and he's like, I think I'm going to pass out. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, not every hero works at that scale. So I thought that was a nice moment to give Firestorm. I did too. I, it was in my notes too. I thought it was really, really good. And I knew you'd be happy that they mentioned the satellite. That was great. Yeah, that was a good, nice little bonus. <laughs> so the pirates cracked me up in the beginning. There's these pirates, right? And they're they're supposed to be modern day pirates. They got names like Patch and Peg and things like that. But they're dressed like, I don't know, henchmen from Metallo or something. Or if you look <laughs> at their colors, like henchmen for the Rainbow Raider. I mean, it's just, it's funny, goofy. I like it because it's just silly. It makes me laugh. I like that. Uh, you know, what the hell? You're a modern-day pirate. Might as well, you know, dress with some pizzazz. Exactly. exactly. Have some style. <laughs> um, 
stuff with Felicity Smoke, yes. So she's the same character from Arrow. Uh, you know, there she's obviously uh, Emily Beck Richards, super hot. You know, Arrow girlfriend. Here she's more middle-aged, black hair, computer genius uh, still. Uh, but I like the idea of her suing Firestorm for superhero malpractice, and it's going to play out a lot over the next few issues. And uh, several years ago, somebody actually did a blog about uh, legal suits and comics, where it was like basically they looked at all the different lawsuits and sort of analyzed them. And so they did one about this lawsuit. It was very, I can't remember now. It's out there somewhere. Just Google Firestorm and Felicity Smoke and Law, and you'll find it somewhere. Really interesting reading uh, on the interpretation of that. So another thing, I do, I, I talk a lot more about this annual than most of this. There's a lot in here that I thought discussing. So they're leaving Pittsburgh. I'm sorry, they're leaving New York, going to Pittsburgh, right? And interestingly enough, all of Ronnie Raymond's supporting cast are going to follow him to Pittsburgh. However, everybody, the Professor Stein supporting cast, is gone. This is it. There's a farewell party, and I don't think we see any of them ever again. It's kind of weird that they just ditched everyone from Stein's life and, and brought everyone over from Ronnie's, which is kind of weird because usually like older people are better at staying in touch than younger people, you know? I guess Jerry figured it was the perfect way to ditch some characters you didn't want to write anymore. I guess, which is sad because, you know, Stein had that romance budding with Belle. You know, we, we did ages ago when we covered the bug and bite story. Belle was their mother, and, and him and her and Professor Stein started, like, hooking up and stuff. Well, I guess it didn't last because here they kind of say goodbye to each other. So, oh, well. Uh, let's see. Oh, by the way, apparently Firestorm can survive hanging out in the corona of the sun with no problems. So I guess from now on, we're going to call BS on any time he fights a bad guy with fire powers. You know, <laughs> sorry, Leif Flambeau, you're not a threat anymore if he can hang out in the sun without a problem. So, hmm. so that um, word again. Which word? Corona. Yeah, I know. Makes you thirsty, doesn't it? Um, I think that is all I've got on this issue. So, yeah, okay. So it was fun. And again, if nothing else, it's worth it just for the cover, guys. Uh, well, you know what? We're going to go out, we're going to post some images from this on our, our website. Rob, what's that website? Fireandwaterpodcast.com. Yep. And you go to, uh, go to look for the show post. You'll find a gallery post. This cover will be the lead, uh, to go into the gallery because it's just that team. It's so, I absolutely love it. All right. Next, we're going to get into the Crisis on Infinite Earth crossovers of Firestorm. Woohoo! Go Crisis. And the first one we're going to cover is Fury of Firestorm number 41. Cover dated November 1985. On the shelves, August 1st, 1985. So technically, it actually came out two weeks before the annual, but it takes place after. So. Cover by Raphael Cannon and Dick Giordano. So what do you think of this cover, buddy? Oh, I like it a lot. Um, my deal with any of these crisis tie-ins then and now is how invasive do they feel? Mm-hmm. Uh, so like you mentioned, the losers crossover of Crisis. <laughs> like that's <laughs> a little bit on the shoehorned end of things. But Firestorm's a natural fit. He, he has a power set that fits in well with this. So uh, I was, uh, I think I was even buying Firestorm at this time. So this feel like a welcome crossover because, you know, it's, it, he's got all kinds of crazy power. So it works. Out. And I always like the Psycho Pirate too. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, it, but you asked me about the cover. I'm sorry. Sure, it's a very right. nice cover. I like it a lot. I think it's like all of the detail of the, the tr- it's a beautifully drawn tree back there. And I like the Psycho Pirate is sort of stalking in the background and Firestorm and Harbinger are coming up. I, I think it's n- nice. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, Harbinger looks sexy. Firestorm looks action-oriented. And you, you mentioned the tree. You know, it's funny. I never meant, noticed the tree until you just mentioned it. Wow, that's really an ornate tree. And Dick Giorgiano went to town on the ink on that tree. <laughs> and the interesting thing is it says, enter Harbinger. And the gist of this is, you know, when you start cri- when you start reading Crisis, as all of you have done and should do about once a year, uh, Firestorm is already with Harbinger and Killer Frost um, is how it opens. They have already been recruited by Harbinger. Well, this is the story of how Firestorm got recruited by Harbinger. The only weird thing is when you really 
step back from it. This issue, issue 41, was on the shelves the same time as Crisis on Infinite Earths number 8. So actually what Jerry's doing is going, he's backfilling a story that was published basically eight months ago, is what he's doing. So uh, it's sort of interesting on how they're telling the story now, even though Crisis is already that far forward. And uh, also worth mentioning, so, uh, tied in with that, you mentioned Firestorm fitting well with Crisis. In that compa- the fr- Crisis crossover companion I mentioned at the top of the show, that there's actually a, a short, um, not an editorial, they call it an essay. There's actually a, like a one-page essay in there, uh, written by our buddy Bob Greenberger, friend of the show, and all about Firestorm and his crossovers in Crisis, and how it all fits together, which I thought was pretty cool. I, I guess they wrote it especially for the collection, so that was nice. It's nice, yeah. Yep. So, all right, so here is the recap of issue number 41, written by Jerry Conway, penciled by Raphael Cannon, inking again by Ian Aiken and Brian Garvey. Uh, the recap is Professor uh, Stein and Ronnie arrive for their first day in Pittsburgh. Uh, Ronnie as a student at Vandermeer University, and Professor Stein as a physics instructor at the school. Firestorm then uh, gets involved. He saves some college kids from bad weather, which is being caused by the red skies of crisis. Yay, red sky warning. Uh, and while they're there, though, Doreen Day is one of the people that they save, she can't help but notice that Firestorm seems to have followed her from New York to Pittsburgh. Hmm, stalker. Uh, Ronnie then encounters his teen nemesis, Cliff Carmichael, who is also a student at Vandermeer. Oh, noes. Uh, Cliff is there with his cousin Hugo, who is this, this enormous, dim-witted football player. Uh, meanwhile, Professor Stein m- uh, meets his teaching assistant, Stu Schwab, who's a 15-year-old uber nerd and genius, as well as Wendy Olson, a brilliant research physicist who suffers from cerebral palsy. About this time, the Monitor's assistant, Harbinger, arrives in Pittsburgh with a psycho pirate in tow. Now, her intention is to recruit Firestorm to assist the Monitor's plan. Psycho pirate wanders off, using his power to induce an irrational panic in Professor Stein. And now, after encountering Harbinger, Ronnie initiates the transformation into Firestorm, but Stein comes over with the overwhelming sense of fear and dominates the shared Firestorm persona. Firestorm's completely out of control, he's freaking out, and he repeatedly attacks Harbinger out of fear. Eventually, he is freed from this by, uh, from his panic by Psycho Pirate. And as things settle down, Harbinger uh, teleports herself, Psycho Pirate, and Firestorm to their next destination, which is to recruit Killer Frost. And we don't actually see that recruitment, but we know that happens between this issue crisis number one. What'd you think, buddy? If memory serves, and I haven't read most of these in a very long time, this issue I thought was unique in that it it seems to be just as much a Harbinger story as it is a Firestorm story, and we get things from her perspective. And I don't, again, it's been a long time since I read a lot of these crossovers, but I don't remember that in these other crisis crisis tie-in books like i remembered she seemed this kind of implacable character and we didn't really get to know her but here jerry even like lets her have a thought balloon here mm-hmm. and there and like when firestorm attacks her she's like he's insane i i don't know it feels like we got to see more uh, about harbinger than in any other crossover again I, I i didn't read them all and a lot of them i haven't read in a long time but it she this felt like it was almost just as much a harbinger story as it is firestorm and that felt like that was unique maybe i'm wrong but it feels like actually you may be right because i actually i can I I can address that. In that essay by Bob Greenberger, one of the things he mentions is when Marv was planning out Crisis, one of the few people he invited in the room was Jerry. Hmm. Um, Jerry was one of the exclusive people in, in, in there to discuss all of it, which is part of the reason Jerry wanted to jump in so deeply with the crossovers. So it could be that he got some insight from there. Also, as I mentioned, this issue hit the shelves the same time as Crisis number eight. So by this point, Harbinger had been pretty well established in Crisis. So Jerry would have had a pretty good handle on her character, because I think issue five or six is 
when the monitor dies. Spoiler. And really, you see a lot more of her starting to come up, come to the fore. So it could be that either he just he learned a lot about her in crisis, or he from those pre meetings. But yeah, I would agree. It definitely feels like a harbinger story. In fact, I feel kind of stupid here. There's something in here, and and I don't know whether it was always in crisis, and I was just too stupid to pick up on it, or whether Jerry just really you know uh, hung a lantern on it. But it, you know, remember one of the things Harbinger could do is she could split into a bunch of people and go to different places and do things in multiple times. I don't know if you remember that. She did that in Crisis a few times, right? Vaguely, I remember that. Well, that's how she gets infected with the shadow creature. Is she goes to Atlantis while she's doing some other stuff. Anyway, she splits off into a million versions or a bunch of versions of herself and they come back together. Well, Jerry completely outlines it here, basically drawing an analogy between her and the creation of the multiverse. How the multiverse was at one point a single entity and then became a bunch. And he points out that she starts off as a single entity and then becomes a bunch of versions. And maybe that was in Crisis and I just missed it in the 18,000 times I've read it, but it was crystal clear to me here and I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. Hmm, I, I don't remember that yet. I don't remember that at all. I felt kind of dumb. Uh, it's like the Adam and Eve thing with uh, Captain Adam in, in Nightshade that I never caught. <laughs> uh, you, you mentioned earlier about Psycho Pirate's always fun. I really think he's kind of, he he's what drove the issue because otherwise he just would have been Firestorm and Harbinger having a conversation and he would have left. But instead, you know, he, uh, Har- uh, Psycho Pirate is basically just being a dick and screwing with Stein, not even knowing that Stein is the target to go there for. He just sees a guy in a window and messes with him. <laughs> but I think, you know, that's what really drew the story. And I like that. I thought uh, uh, Psycho Pirate's got a really interesting power and a really good reason for superheroes to fight each other. So I, I liked that aspect of Firestorm being out of control emotionally, knowing that he was out of control emotionally, but still not be able to change it. I thought that was an interesting twist. Yeah, I could see that. Yep. So, fun crossover. I think it was very worthy and uh, made for a good one with the crisis. Now, Fury of Firestorm number 42. This is an absolutely fantastic issue. One of my absolute favorites. The best spotlight for Firehawk ever. And we're not going to talk about it. So there you go. Uh, because what we're going to do is we're actually going to refer you to fire the fire and water podcast episode number 49 which rob and i recorded back in april 2013 oh my god rob had, rob had hair back then guys anyway um, no i did <laughs> in that episode we covered hostess fruit pies which was super fun we talked about firestorm number 42 and we did this massive collection of listener feedback i just re-listened to it the other day on the treadmill just to see what we talked about it's actually a decent episode i thought it was kind of fun so <laughs> how surprised uh, you sound <laughs> i was i was like wow this is almost entertaining i don't know maybe this is why people listen anyway um Consistently reviews on iTunes. Can almost entertaining. It's it's right. <laughs> Zero stars. Almost entertaining. So anyway, uh, go out to again episode forty nine. We we talk about the episode uh, the issue in detail. So I will give you a, a like a, a little paragraph summary of it. But uh, so what the issue is about? It was a special Christ on Infinite Earth crossover issue. Interestingly, Firestorm doesn't appear anywhere in the issue. Uh, this time it, the spotlight falls on Firehawk and Wonder Girl as they search New York's time displaced landscape. Because you know at that point in Crisis there was you know, like you, you go over here and you're in one time zone, another and you're in you know, dinosaur times all in New York patchwork. And uh, there they are seeking Firehawk's father and Wonder Girl's husband. Along the way, they encounter a prehistoric octopus and they end up fighting the Revolutionary War along the side of Tomahawk, Rob's favorite. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) It's all about Firehawk and Wonder Girl. There's lots of hotness going on here, folks, and heroics. It's a great issue. You should definitely check it out. uh, I've been posting covers on Twitter and Facebook lately of these issues we were rereading. In fact, uh, the one one we just did a minute ago, issue 41 with Harbinger, that got a lot of comments. People really love that cover. They really love that issue. They have very fond memories. Same thing with this particular issue, number 42, a lot of fond memories. Tom Panneries had the most insightful thing. He said that this issue is completely unbelievable because of how much anybody cared about finding Terry Long. That's just, no, that can't possibly be it. <laughs> it was a different uh, time. Exactly. All right. The next set of issues we're going to cover together 
here as one set. I call this Typhoon Returns. This is Fury of Firestorm number 43 and number 44. They were cover dated January and February, respectively, 1986. They were on the shelves October 10th, 1985 and November 7th, 1985. Both covers are by Raphael Cannon and Dick Giordano. And the issues themselves are written by Jerry Conway, penciled by Raphael Cannon. And this is where inker Mike Macklin's going to come in. Now, Rob, what do you think about these covers, quick? 43 and 44. Well, 40, 43 I like. I love 44. Me too. I think 44 is even better. But I like the colors on 43, the, the uh, dark purple skies. I like Typhoon as a character. I think he's a good match for Firestorm, although he would be cool to take on Aquaman, but that's maybe for the second movie. Ugh. But uh, no, I like the, I like both these covers. Get your own rugs gallery. You've only got two anyway. <laughs> Can't all be the fishermen. <laughs> ZS as Rob described, it's all purple. Basically, you've got Typhoon in the foreground. On the first one, it says, Typhoon Alert! Firestorm, beware! And Firestorm's flying up behind that Typhoon. The second one, as you said, is even better, though. It's all blue. Oh, I love that cover for 44. And Firestorm is blasting the hell out of Typhoon. And he's got a word balloon! I love word balloons on the cover! It says, it's all over for you now, Typhoon, so blow! <laughs> <laughs> and as uh, says, Firestorm fights back against the incredible odds. And the beauty of it, both covers are completely misrepresentative, which I think is hilarious in comic books. That always cracks me up. So here's the recap. I'm going to recap both issues together here. So Firestorm rescues some steel workers at a mill in Pittsburgh when a giant cauldron of molten metal breaks loose. Later, Ronnie tries out for the football team at Vandermeer University and makes the team. Back in Manhattan, during a heavy rainstorm, a critically ill patient in the ICU in Manhattan General Hospital awakens from a coma and breaks out, unbelievably ascending into the storm clouds. The, the coma patient we discover is David Drake, the supervillain called Typhoon. He surprises his ex-wife when he appears at her Long Island home to see his estranged children. A news broadcast about Firestorm angers David Drake, leading to a confrontation with his ex-wife during which he becomes Typhoon. Uh, he flies away, kidnapping his children. Then, later in Pittsburgh, Typhoon causes a powerful tornado to form over the river. Firestorm rescues a freighter being tossed about in the water, then realizes that he'll need more power to dissipate the tornado. Now, this is all connected to him having lesser powers, folks. Uh, Firestorm then absorbs a ton of extra heat energy from the steelworks where he was just the day before and blasts the tornado apart, never realizing... The whole time that he's been battling his foe Typhoon. Uh, the drain on the powers leaves fi uh, Ronnie and the Professor temporarily unable to transform back into Firestorm. We get a whole lot of subplottage here. Professor Stein then spends time adjusting the life in, uh, as a college instructor, while Ronnie catches Cliff Carmichael snooping through his dorm room, which ends up in a brawl. We're also reminded again about Ronnie's soon-to-be stepmother suing Firestorm for superhero malpractice. In a moving subplot, Typhoon takes a break from his revenge plot to return his children whom he had kidnapped back to their mother. He's a creature of both storm and flesh and very much a father concerned for the well-being of his children. <laughs> so what do you think of these issues, buddy? Uh, I liked it. I like it. So again, this nice little tight little two-parter. Uh, I actually, uh, I know that the whole thing is set during a during a rainstorm, of course, so naturally uh, that sort of sets the tone, but I like the colors by Nancy Houlihan in this one. Like, everything is darker. Like, all the, I think all the tones are even darker. Like, I feel like Firestorm's colors are a little tinged a little darker. So it gives the whole thing a nice moody feel. You don't see a lot of rain in comic books for the most part, even though it happens all the time. But uh, I, I, I don't know. It gave it it gave it a different energy, not an energy. That's probably not the right term. Just gave it a different feel uh, than maybe some of your typical Firestorm storm, Firestorm story. So I liked it. I don't know that I can speak to the color. <clears throat> 
interesting because I'm reading. I mean, I've got the comics here; they're still in the bags. I actually decided this time to read them on Comicsology. I thought, you know what? I bought all these issues again on Comicsology. I love my tablets. I'll read them on there. And I gotta say, whoever did the colors, because you know these are recolored for Comicsology. They they take the black and white line art and they recolor them. They're supposed to be following along with the original template. Whoever did the coloring on these Firestorm comics for Comicsology, shame on you. Shame. Your family will carry shame for generations for this work. It's really poor. Like each issue mm. starts off pretty good, but then as you get further along, it's like they ran out of time. And remember in um, like Microsoft Paint, they had like the spray can or whatever, or airbrush tool or whatever, where it's just like soft edges and stuff like that. It's not like harsh line work. They they did a lot of that kind of work. And so sometimes they don't even fill in the space completely. Like there's gaps around the line work where the colors don't match or they go over the line work. It's it's really poorly done. So yeah. I, it's, yeah. it's very okay. upsetting. It's not every panel, but when it happens, it's really noticeable. So I don't know if I can really comment to that. And so I, I wish I could. I, I do like the, I do think there's a lot of good use of blacks. I think that a lot of the, uh, the darkness that you're talking about is coming from the, the inks. Like, you know, like the last page of issue 40, what, 43, you know, when he's flying away with the kids, you know, there's all these black clouds behind him and it just, it looks really powerful. So I think that the, the line works great. So you, so this is ink by Macklin. So you like Macklin's work, right? So tell me more about that. Tell me, give me like a, a panel or a page you like. Uh, I like the uh, splash page for 44, just that shot of Firestorm from behind. Uh, the his nice tight buns and stuff like that. No, I, I, <laughs> I, I think I think that Macklin is a better combo for Raphael Kayanan. I don't have such trouble saying that uh, than Aiken and Garvin. Um, I don't think that he's the best inker. I mean, Dick Giordano. I mean, although of course Dick right. Giordano is the best inker for everybody. Yes, he is for the most part. But I, I don't know. Roden to me, Rodin 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 Rodriguez is another good one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I just I don't know. I find these issues more pleasing to the eye, uh, inked by Macklin, than I do the ones inked by Aiken and Garvey. Oh, mm. by the way, the splash page. I do. I again, this is probably maybe the work of the colors, Nancy Hulian. I love all those colored circles in yeah. Firestorm's Wake. They look, those, cool. they look like little planetoids. Mm-hmm. That's a really neat, nifty little effect. There's a page I really like. I think it's the sixth. My, it doesn't have page numbers on here, um, but I think it's the sixth page where Fire. Firestorm's absorbing the heat from the steelworks, mm-hmm. and it's a side shot where you actually have a side shot of Firestorm, and you have a side shot of Professor Stein as well, and he's just like absorbing energy. It looks like he's blasting, but really he's sucking energy back into mm-hmm. heat energy. I really like that. I think that's a nice looking panel. I think Macklin did a nice job on that one. Uh, I really, and you get the concentric, you know, nuclear atomic rings around him and stuff. I, I, I think that I dig that one. Yeah, so, I think it's cool. I like the the whole idea that Firestorm never realized he was battling Typhoon. The whole either issue, he was just fighting a tornado, as far as he was concerned, you know, and and in the second one, the fight's over by page nine and hmm. the whole rest of the issue is just about establishing subplots. And that's kind of a reoccurring theme throughout all these issues. I mean, it was, all of these were really, really subplot heavy. The supervillain stuff a lot of times was, was secondary. You know, it was interesting. I also like how both issues end on the same image, but uh, with two different uh, intentions. Oh, wow. I didn't notice that, but you're absolutely right. Both of them is the image of Typhoon flying away with his kids. And the first time, it's him kidnapping his children and the second one, it's returning. Because that is one, the, the nicest thing, I think, about this two-parter is Typhoon. You really get into him. Well, he affects you emotionally because, you know, he, he's crazy. Make no mistake. But you, you still, he brings, in, brings the feels. Like, you feel really bad for him about what's happened and how his wife has basically cut him off from his kids. Uh, and and she, she even feels bad about it for a while, wondering if she did the right thing. Then you worry about the safety of the children after he's kidnapped them. And you're like, oh, David, no, no, no. Bad, bad, bad. And you feel very bad. You're worried about the kids. And then you feel really good about it. Again, when he stop, he decides to stop attacking, he decides it's more important to be a father and return his kids because his daughter says daddy you scare me and he takes them home I, I just I, I really felt connected to that I, I felt really good about it yeah, yeah I like them both although I, want, I am annoyed by the little boy's cap 
that he wears because he looks like a shoeshine boy. It just looks very out of date. He doesn't look like a kid from 1985. Well, you know what? Maybe he was a shoeshine boy, Rob. Maybe he was making money and contributing to the family, and you're taking that away from him. And I just, I'm a, I'm a terrible person. You are. You're, you're off. You are what we call the worst. So, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into next uh, what I call the Firestorm and Blue Devil crossover, or they actually call it the Bolt Saga, which I don't really, I think that's inappropriately named. But uh, the gist of it, what happened was basically the, the editors got together and said, hey, Firestorm and Blue Devil would make a great crossover. Why don't you guys do that? So Jerry uh, Conway, obviously writing here, and uh, Dan Mishkin and Gary Cohn writing Blue Devil, they coordinated and came up with a crossover. So uh, we'll talk about it, and we're going to, hmm, I guess we should do, we should do the recaps first. Is, why don't we do all the recaps, and then we'll come back, because I think there's, there's a lot, this is where the bulk of the discussions I think is going to take place. So why don't we do that? We'll do all the recaps, and then we'll come back and talk about the whole thing together. Is that fair? Okay. Well, I'm going to do the recap for number 45. So uh, issue number 45 is a villain recruitment drive. Multiplex begins by picking up a drunken slipknot <laughs> at a seedy bar in Washington, D.C. Then Multiplex and the Larcenous Lariat, my pet name for Slipknot. I that think is you can not tell your it. pet name for Slipknot. That's my I think, pet name. I think, yeah, I think everybody can tell that Chegg wrote this. <laughs> Arrive at the Pleasant Hollow convalescent home to liberate the hyena. Next on the nuclear nemesis hit parade is Mindboggler. Multiplex recruits her after she torments a jerk who wouldn't take no for an answer. Unbeknownst to these villains, they are being followed by Blue Devil's own foe, Bolt. Back with our heroes, Professor Stein goes on a date with Dr. Emily Rice, Dean of Vandermeer University. All doesn't go well when she lives up to her reputation as a man-eater. Not literally, she's just very forward. Meanwhile, Ronnie talks with Felicity Smoke about her lawsuit against Firestorm, but fails to convince her of Firestorm's good intentions. Doreen Day then receives the distressing news about her sister Summer, a.k.a. the hyena, escaping the convalescent home. All right, I'm going to re- recap issue 46, but just to give you guys some background information, cover dated March and April 1986, on the shelves December 5th, 1985, and January 2nd, 1986. Uh, issue number 45's cover was by Dennis J- uh, Cowan and Dick Giordano, which we're going to talk about. 46's cover is by Joe Brzezowski and Dick Giordano, we'll talk about. Issue 45, the one just Rob recapped with the art team was George Tuska and Mike Gustavich, remember that. And the second one is Joe Brzezowski, his first issue on the book, Joe Brzezowski and Mike Macklin. So here we go. Issue 46, Firestorm investigates the hyena's escape, determining she was assisted by Slipknot. Yes, that's right, the patron saint of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, Slipknot. Uh, about this time, Ronnie realizes he is a complete bonehead and aban- as he abandoned his girlfriend, Doreen, in her time of need. Meanwhile, Cliff Carmichael makes up a nasty rumor about Ronnie using drugs to mislead Ronnie's father. After Ronnie and his father argue about the false accusation, Ronnie confr- uh, comforts Doreen. Multiplex brings his team of villains to the Three Rivers Stadium, where they plan their upcoming robbery of the to a, uh, an upcoming computer trade show. The Blue Devil's full foe, Bolt, arrives on the scene and bullies his way onto the bad guy team. Ronnie and his dad then hash out their troubles, and then they join Felicity Smoke in attending the Pittsburgh Civic Arena's computer show. Shockingly, the trade show is attacked by a floating green tentacled monster from H.P. Lovecraft. In order to protect his secret, and I'm not exaggerating, and they say straight up, it's a Lovecraft creature. Uh, in order to protect his secret identity from Felicity Smoke, Ronnie does the absolute logical thing. Ronnie punches his future stepmother in the face, knocking her <laughs> out so she doesn't see him transform into Firestorm. Yeah, just let that process for a minute. Imagine Robbie Amell full-on decking Emily Beck Richards right in her adorable face. So, yeah, just think about that. Anyway, Karma's a bitch because Firestorm is then quickly defeated by an illusion and some piece of rope. Uh, it turns out that this Cthulhu monster was one of Mindboggler's illusions, and Firestorm finds himself hanging upside down from one of Slipknot's ropes around his leg. Bolt then blasts Firestorm, sending him flying from the Civic Arena. Outside the arena, Blue Devil, traveling from Hollywood, is forced to take an ev- uh, evasive action when a fireball lands on the expressway just in front of his Devil Mobile. I, I never get tired of saying Devil Mobile. <laughs> and in the crater caused by this fireball, Blue Devil and his friend Wayne find the unconscious Firestorm. All right, so again, we're saving our comments here. Then we get into Blue Devil number 23, cover dated April 1986. 
six on the shelves, January 16th, 1986, cover by Paris Collins and Gary Martin. Thank the Lord. Uh, it's written by Gary Cohn and Dan Mishkin. Inside is penciled by Alan Kupperberg and inks by Bill Collins. Uh, it's pretty much an issue-long fight between Firestorm and Blue Devil. Mindboggler uses his power, her powers of illusion to trick Firestorm into thinking Blue Devil's a monster. At the same time, Bolt uses his sophisticated remote control to manipulate the electronics in Blue Devil's suit, causing Blue Devil to attack Firestorm, further reinforcing the appearance that Blue Devil is a bad guy. Meanwhile, Blue Devil's friend Wayne stumbles across Bolt's secret identity. See, Rob, I told you that in the last Who's Who episode we did that Bolt's secret identity had been revealed by this point. Here it is, right here. See, I do know some. Anyway, eventually, Firestorm breaks free of his illusion and in, then in turn frees Blue Devil from the evil remote control. Working together, Firestorm captures Bolt back at his hideout, while Blue Devil is left to battle the remaining four bad guys. Our favorite weirdness magnet manages to fend off the hyena and Slipknot, but ends the issue under a pile of multiplexes. I'm not sure if that's the accurate uh, plural, but I think that's what it is. Multiply. Multiply. <laughs> okay. Uh, final issue in the crossover, and final issue we're going to cover tonight, and then we'll get into all the, the juicy details. Fear of Firestorm number 47, cover dated May 1986, on the shelves February 6th, 1986, covered by Joe Brozowski and Rick Magger. Magyar? How do you say that? I think Fig Magyar, I believe. Okay. Written by Jerry Conway. Again, penciled inside by Joe Brzezowski, his second issue on Firestorm Now, inking by Mike Macklin. So, Multiplex and his team capture Blue Devil outside of this Pittsburgh Civic Arena. They drag him inside as their hostage. They demand safe passage in exchange for Blue Devil, but will only negotiate with Firestorm. Firestorm arrives on the scene, dragging an enormous glider plane. It looks like it's made of balsa wood, like you have as a kid. And it's carrying Blue Devil's friend Wayne and the captured Bolt. The Pittsburgh police are thankful for Firestorm's assistance. And uh, which is a welcome change from the hostile relationship he had with the New York police. Multiplex and Hyena ambush Firestorm when he approaches the Civic Center. Mindboggler tries to put the illusion whammy on Firestorm, but the nuclear man just plays along because he's playing possum, giving Ronnie's father and stepmother enough time to take out Slipknot. That's right, they took out Slipknot, two regular humans. What a chump. Apparently, Ed Raymond and Felicity Smoke are complete badasses because they also hold off Hyena long enough for Firestorm to knock out the Beast. How awesome is that? I wish my dad would help me like that. Anyway, uh, with Blue Devil back in the fight, Firestorm and our favorite weirdness magnet track down Multiplex's duplicates. As they corner what they think is the real Multiplex, they coordinate... Uh, it's, it's kind of funny. They, they're going to get ready to coordinate to punch him out together. They're like, all right, on three, one, two. Unfortunately, it turns out it's another duploid who vanishes at the last second. And our heroes, they do swing and punch, but they connect with a pile of concrete, injuring, injuring both their hands. And we get a fun panel of both of them hopping on one foot, going, ow, 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 ow. The issue ends with what Siskoid would call the friendly farewell. The heroes clearly enjoying teaming up and shake hands one final time, each forgetting about their sore hands. The last panel is each hero walking away with an aching hand, again saying, ow, 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 ow. <laughs> Fun gag. All right, Rob, talking about the whole crossover, all four issues. We'll start there, uh, and then give me some big picture, and then we'll get into some covers and details. What do you think? All right, overall, very fun crossover. Firestorm and Blue Devil, I think, are kind of a, I don't know say a natural combination, but a fun combination. They're both lighthearted superheroes, so that's a nice thing. Uh, we've talked about in many other previous episodes uh, that Jerry is you know, doing the Spider-Man template with Firestorm, and he here, he's doing his own Sinister Six. Oh, yeah. You know, where it's all the, the villains ganging up together. Uh, I love the cover for number 45 with the, the giant head and all the tiny villains. Uh, you know, that's a really fun cover. I will say. That, can, we, I, can we talk about that cover in detail? But sure. you, you go ahead and say what you want to say, but I, I want to talk about this cover specific. We'll talk about the cover then, because I'm okay. going to talk about the inside. <clears throat> all right, the cover. 
it, Dennis Cowan and uh, Dick Giordano. It's freaking gorgeous. It is one of my favorite Firestorm covers because you're right. It's fun, but it just like Firestorm's face looks fantastic. The the villains all surrounding him. That's exactly what you want to see as your hero surrounded by the bad guys. Even though it's sort of representative, it's fantastic. Now, can you tell me two major inaccuracies on this cover? And I still don't. Even though they're big major things, I don't think they take away from the cover. Uh, inaccuracies. Mm-hmm. I'm putting you on the spot here. There are two uh, major things that are wrong with this cover. Um, no, what? Okay. One is who, who are the villains you see on the cover? Multiplex, Slipknot, mm-hmm. Hyena, yep. Mind Boggler. Yep. Uh, that's it. Who's in the bottom right-hand corner? Oh, who is that? <laughs> that's Stratos from Fury Firestorm number 29, the guy who controlled the wind. What? Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't even... Okay. All right. I didn't notice it for years. Yeah. it's, it's a, some, I, I don't know where someone pointed it out, or I noticed it, or I saw it written up, but yeah, Stratos is on the cover like he's one of the villains, which is crazy. So okay. clearly he's not one of the group. The other inaccuracy is Firestorm, if you notice, look at his cowl, the way it goes around his face. Yeah. He's got little red sideburns. He doesn't have those. Now, the only reason I bring it up, you see what I'm talking about, like right right beneath the cheekbones, how they kind of jut out like little sideburns? Yeah. yeah. Firestorm doesn't have that in his headgear. However, what makes it interesting is about um, 20 issues from now, he will. The Blank Slate Firestorm, one of the distinguishing characteristics of the Blank Slate Firestorm, once you know, Mikhail Arkadin joins the team, you know, is he gets those little red uh, cowl sideburns, and that becomes a regular part of his costume. So it's never appeared in Firestorm before. We don't see it again for 20 issues. It's very strange that it's on this cover. Hmm. I didn't... Okay, I always just... Are you sure he hasn't been shown with that before? Yeah, he's got a little, he's got a little point on his tail, yeah, which you can see on the right, right hand side. Okay. But, but the sideburns right. were not there. And, and it's only, I mean, if it never appeared again, it wouldn't be that big a deal. It's only interesting in the fact that it became a regular uh, costume trait in 20 issues. Okay. Fair anyway, enough. Um, wow. That's that's nitpicking, but okay. <laughs> so tell me what you want to say about the inside. I want to talk about this whole Sinister Six idea in a second here, but you go ahead. What do you want to say about the inside? Okay. When I looked at the cover and I saw that it was George Tuska and Mike Gustavich, I, I sighed audibly because... Yes. Well, shocker we, the Rob side, everyone, by the way. Yeah, we, we've talked again and numerous times about George Tuska. George Tuska is a great artist. We are not in any way saying he isn't but i think by this point in his career of course he was probably the tail end of his career and he was drawing a lot of superheroes which i don't think he had a lot of interest slash facility with uh, I think he was probably quick, and so he was like a good fill-in guy. But I don't think he's a particularly great match for Firestorm. He certainly did. Um, he did. I, I mentioned in a previous episode that he didn't do great superheroes, but that's not accurate. He did Iron Man mm. in, in the '60s, and he was great on that. And he's done other stuff. But I think here it's not great. And then when I saw that he was paired with Mike Gustavich, I really was like, oh boy, because you know when I was in school, we knew of the reputation of Mike Gustavich, which was like he's the guy you get when you need it printable. Oh wow, you know? really? You really need basically done okay and and you know again he's probably done some other stuff i think he did that book justice machine for kamiko or whatever but i was i was definitely kind of like oh boy that said i was actually pleasantly surprised i kind of like this issue i loved all the human interest stuff i think that's where tuska really excels all the stuff with ronnie on the football field and and all the all the other characters talking it's not superhero action Uh, i think that's all stuff is really beautiful gustavich actually I think is a pretty good anchor for Tuska. He kind of like goes with the handles of the smoothness very well. And there are two specific things about this issue, the way Tuska draws it that I love. First of all, the page where Multiplex finds Hyena and panel two, where he puts his hand on, on her and he says, Hyena, at last we meet for, I have a small proposition for you. I love that profile shot of Hyena. There's something about that face hmm. that he draws. I just love it. I think it looks fan. It looks fierce 
fearsome and weird, and I love it. And then I it does, absolutely it does look very like movie monster. It does. Yes, yes, absolutely. And then also, I love the way Tusker draws Bolt that he doesn't give him any eye slits on his on his on that little visor on his face. So I there's something about the way I love that he looks at that final panel, the final page where he's walking around whispering. He's like, "Yes, sir, Bob, old boy, Bolt. This is gonna be fun." I I really love how that looks. So there's there's parts of this that I really enjoyed, and this is I would say easily my favorite of the George Tusca fill-ins. And that's not saying a whole lot, You're right? But but I I don't know. I really this was way better looking than I expected it to. I, it, it sounds like you're you're praising it with uh, or damning it with faint praise, but no, it, you, you I feel exactly the same. I thought the same thing too. I'm like George Tusca again. Oh my gosh! Uh, but it is the best of his work in Firestorm, without a doubt. And you're right. It's the moments where there are no spandex costumes, which is where he really shines. When there's just humans talking, especially earlier in the issue, it looks like he gets a little rushed the further he goes on. Uh, but earlier panels, like especially like when you know, they're, they're getting Slipknot in the bar, you know, in the, in the alley and stuff like that, there's some really nice character line work there. I really dig that. So, um, yeah, it's, it is a lot better than I was hoping. So that's, yeah. that's what I can say. Something else very interesting about this issue is in the letters page. There's, uh, and actually throughout several of the letters pages, one of the interesting things is they talk about how you know, Firestorm moving to Pittsburgh now, they don't have a lot of photo reference of Pittsburgh. So there's actually call-outs in the letters page asking fans who have photo reference of Pittsburgh to send it to them. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, we, it's something we would never even think about nowadays. Now it's just G-O-O-G-L-E dot com, and we get whatever we want, right? Um, but back then, I mean, they even wrote to the Pittsburgh Chamber of Commerce, who said they would send them some pictures for reference, and they haven't gotten They keep saying, like, in the, in the letters, like, we haven't got them yet. So, you know, <laughs> if you have pictures of the bridges, please send them and I'm like wow how interesting and they talk about how they'll give the reference to the artists how funny I, you know you don't think about that back then you used to have to have, you know artists had to have files of this kind of stuff that is right <laughs> also interesting there is a letter in here in issue uh, we're on this issue 45 right there's a long letter the last one here it's a very very long letter and it, it gets a bit critical uh, it even says it starts off saying like dear Jerry something has got to change the inking ruins Raphael's art the coloring ruins the art more and the lettering just makes it worse Jerry Ord way likes to ink when he's done with the crisis bring him over here and it goes on and on and talks about a lot of stuff in the book that this person feels like needs to be changed and talks about a lot of the characters and makes some predictions about where the book's going uh, it's not a mean letter it starts off a little you know strong like a uh, maybe tough love but no anyway it is signed by some guy uh little tom zoller is who it's signed by your old college roommate buddy <laughs> Isn't that Tom's, wild? Uh, Tom Zoller, long-winded? I, that doesn't make any sense. Wow. You know he's going to listen <laughs> to this. So, okay. Anyway, <laughs> it's kind of interesting, though, because the editor, her name is Janice. Was it Janice Rice, I think is her name? Yeah, Jan, uh, Janice Race. I'm sorry. She she writes back to him, and you know she talks about she appreciates everything, blah, blah, blah. And then she says, P.S., your letter was the kind an editor dreams of. Talk about neat. You and your word processor and your printer are aces with me. I think Janice was flirting with little Tom Zoller, it sounds like to me. Uh, you can't feed Tom's ego. That's an <laughs> enormous mistake on her part. <laughs> Oh, you're going to hear from him after this one. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, all right. So that's issue 45. Um, before we go into 46, I want to talk about this this whole idea of the, the Sinister Six, right? So you got Multiplex, Hyena, Slipknot, and Mindboggler are the teams, right? And along the way, they're joined by Blue Devil's foe, uh, Bolt. Now, I call them the nuclear nemesises. 
<laughs> in case you're wondering, yes, that is the plural of nemesis. Maybe I added a couple extra S's on there, but I had a rolls little... right off the tongue. What? It does, doesn't it? Well, yeah. And I started thinking about this. Okay, so Sinister Six style, they've only got five people. It doesn't have to be six, but you know, whatever. Anyway, if you're building a rogues gallery, you know, there are some pretty heavy hitters missing from here. No Killer Frost, no Typhoon, no Plastique. All of them are major villains for Fire. And I thought, wonder why? And then I thought more about it. You know, Firestorm's an analog for Spider-Man. Sure. So, uh, so thinking about Sinister Six, you know, Green Goblin and the Kingpin, they weren't traditionally members of the Sinister Six, and those were big-time guys. So I guess it makes sense to leave out some of Firestorm's heavy hitters, right? Get some of the lower-tier villains together. So, okay, it's working. However, I still think the team's lacking in power. If you look at it from, like, a role-playing point of view, which, you know, I love to do, you're mostly covered. You've got a bruiser, multiplex, he likes to punch a lot of stuff. You've got mental powers, covered with mind-boggler. You've got a savage character, uh, a hyena. You've got a a character with a gimmick, who would be Slipknot. And you've got an energy blaster, who's Bolt. However, you could, there's a few other categories in role-playing games that they don't have covered here that might have brought some additional power. One would be like a technological marvel, who, you know, they probably could use the Enforcer. Remember the Enforcer was the, wore the green bodysuit in mm-hmm, the uh, mm-hmm. uh, Tokamak story? I'm not sure if the character's even still alive at this point, but, you know, who cares? It would have been a good tech. And, and I think that would have also brought some additional strength that they needed. Like, a, uh, you know, the the strength of the suit would have been a good idea there, too. Could have had a magic user. That's another good power level. That uh, Power category, like maybe Black Bison or Silver Deer would have worked as a magic user. Could have had a tank. You know, someone who's, like, super strong and vulnerable. Again, that could be, uh, you could have uh, Enforcer remote top you know, work for that one. Or someone with an elemental power, uh, which would be, like, you know, weather control, which could be Typhoon, or it could be Stratos, uh, or it could be Ice Powers. You know, we mentioned Killer Frost already. Things like that. So, you know, those are other ones, you know, Bug and Bite would have made sense. Weasel would have made sense recently appeared. Uh, but really, if you're really digging, I would say the characters they really should have considered for this group would have been folks like uh, Bazooka Joan, the Satin <laughs> Satan, Crisscross, Goldenrod, and Le Flambeau. You know, don't you think those would have been the stars? I absolutely believe the Satin Satan should have come back. Absolutely. How did Bazooka Joan not get an action figure? I don't understand. I <laughs> she could have come with some gum. It would have been great. Right. I will say as a compliment, at least, you know, and I had to go back and look at this. It, it, each member of the this nuclear nemesis, whatever, uh, really did get something to do in the crossover, which is pretty good. Everyone had a pretty big action that affected the story. So I thought that was that was nice. So good on them. All right. First number 46. So the cover to that one. This one. Uh, so you go from 45, which is one of my favorite covers, which, again, is Firestorm's head with all the bad guys. You go to the cover of 46 where it's Firestorm fighting a Cthulhu monster and a little headshot of Blue Devil. What do you think of this cover, buddy? I like it. It's fun. Uh, I can't... My eye immediately... First of all, I like how the villains are just sort of standing there in a big pose. That's kind of nice. That's their that's their publicity shot. Uh, and and we see everybody and there's there's like the, the citizens are locked in the tentacles and they're getting thrown around and then there's people running and it's clearly meant to be, you know, chaos. People are, are, are you know, bolting for the exits. But my eye, for whatever reason, keeps going down to the bottom left hand of the the cover and there's a woman in purple yeah. with her hands up and just the way it's posed it looks like she's ice skating it just looks <laughs> like she's I know she's supposed to be running in terror but there's just something about it it just looks like she's just doing about to do a pirouette or something it just looks very silly to me but I mean no it's it's fun I love Cthulhu type monsters and stuff so it's a fun cover plus you get the next inset of uh, Blue Devil I hate this cover hate uh-huh. it hate it hate it hate it uh, it's one of my least favorite covers of the entire series um, I think the monster looks ridiculous I, I my eye is drawn to Firestorm giant Jay Leno chin like he, he borrowed that from Jay I just I've never liked this cover I don't know if it's the yellow uh, I, I the 
only part I like is Blue Devil kind of like trying to pull himself out of the panel. I think that's cute. Other than that, I can't stand this cover. It just always drives me crazy. In fact, this whole issue I have a lot of issues with. Getting inside, you know, first of all, i got to mention this funny bit. They, they're at this computer trade show, right? And they talk about the most amazing computer. It's on the verge of artificial intelligence. It has got an amazing 30 megabytes of RAM. Oh, my Lord. Wow. What are you going to do with all that? I know. I mean, geez, OP. Yeah. Now, to be fair, I mean, this sounds hysterical, right? 30 megabytes of RAM. That's all it's got. Now, to be, yeah, if you look at the same time, in 1985, when this issue came out at home, I had a TRS-80. You know, uh, Rob's favorite thing. The WizKids did not hang out at my Whiz house. WizKids. Anyway. Loving the TRS-80 WizKids. <laughs> and now, the, the TRS-80 color computer came with 16 kilobytes of RAM. We spent the extra money, God knows how many hundreds of dollars it was, to upgrade to a whopping 32K, uh, 32 kilobytes of RAM, which is pretty impressive back then, I will say. But, to be fair, so this 32 mega, or this 30 megabyte RAM computer is a thousand times more powerful than my TRS-80. So, maybe there's something to that. I don't know. But it's funny to think about it nowadays. Just think of how many of your Earth 1, Earth 2 lists you could put on that. Oh, it could go forever. 10 and then 20, go to 10, just have it repeat over and over. <laughs> so we have got to talk about Ronnie punching out Felicity. So, Rob, your thoughts? Uh, well, uh, you know, yeah. I, I, once you say it, trying to picture Stephen Amell doing it, it doesn't. You're like, oh, boy, you know. Right. But in the comic book, it's, yeah, it's certainly a weird moment. But Not Stephen Amell, Robbie Amell, his cousin. But anyway. oh, what a, oh, yeah, okay. Because Robbie um, Amell played Ronnie Raymond and then, you know, Felicity Smoke. I was trying to draw that parallel, but just imagine a human being punching out another human being in real life. Yeah, like, oh, I, 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 I wish that maybe Joe Brzezowski, who takes over here, um, d- he didn't quite handle it right because, like, when Ronnie hits her, he looks angry. And he, so he really looks like he's decking her as opposed to just sort of knocking her out for her own good, kind of. Well, to be I fair, mean, she's suing him, so maybe there is well, some of that right. in there. But, I mean, it looks more violent than it probably needs to because he's doing it just to get her out of harm's way. But in in the panel – and plus he hits her close – fit. yeah, it, eh, I was about to say it, it works a little better in comic book form than it would in live action. But I'm looking at the panel. No, it really doesn't. No, it doesn't. It doesn't work at all. <laughs> There's no excuse for this. Uh, in comic books, they have been ditching people for years, you know, and saying, I've got to sneak away to change, you know, to change into my superhero form. There was no reason to deck her out. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of an unforgivable. Um, I'm glad you mentioned Brozowski. This is his first issue. And I got to tell you, there's a fun, there's a fun on page 21, uh, right after he decks her, right? Uh, he transforms. And, oh, we should mention, all around this computer expo, there's all these giant, enormous fake computer props, which are super fun. I wish they had used them more in the story, but they're like straight out of the Batman TV show. You know, these giant props, fake computers. They're hilarious. I love them. Anyway, fire, when Ronnie transforms into Firestorm and he's flying away and you see Firestorm like launching away from the keyboard, it's a really nice hero shot of Firestorm. I will tell you, I am 95% sure that is a swipe of a Pat Broderick drawing. If you look at the shoulder pads, you look at Firestorm's eyes, you look at the body language, that's a that's a Broderick drawing. I'm pretty confident. I can't place it. I look to see if I can figure out where it's from. I can't. But one of the things Joe Brzezowski is famous for, folks, and we're going to talk a lot more about this as we cover these issues down the line is he is famous for swiping which is where you take another person's drawing and you either light box it which means you trace it or you draw exactly redraw the same pose for your own purposes now Rob you're a, you've been a professional artist at different points in your life How, what's your feelings on swiping for comic books where is it okay and where is it crossing the line well I mean that's I, that's everybody's opinion about when it's all right I mean a lot of it is just to save time right um, we all know that 
Rich Buckler was famous for swiping, and but Rich Buckler clearly knew how to drew, draw. Excuse me. Um, he drew very well. So I think when he swiped, it really was just to get things done faster. I really think that's what that was. So, I mean, you can argue that's not right or whatever, but, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's sometimes it's the realities of trying to get this stuff done. Um, and Wally Wood used to swipe all the time. And Wally, you know, nobody's begrudging Wally Wood. You know, he's one of the great geniuses ever to do it. So I, I find that Joe Brzezowski's work is not all that great. And so I wonder, you know, is he swiping just because it's just, you know, he could he comes up with a slightly better result if he steals from somebody else. Um, there is actually... Actually, a second swipe uh, in oh, this comic, it? yeah, and I can actually give you the the, the source material mm. um, on. I don't know what page it is because honestly, but it's the when it when it opens in Pittsburgh and it's the Pittsburgh Civic Arena Sunday, and there's the big establishing shot of everybody at the at the fair or whatever, mm-hmm. and then you have the second panel and you see uh, Felicity there, and she's got her finger up by her chin and she's looking to the right on the panel. Hmm. Do you know okay. what panel I'm talking about? Okay, uh, I'm getting there. I'm flipping as quick as I can. Okay. Yes. I'll, yes, I'll talk, okay, now. so yeah, there you see Ronnie, and then she's in the center, and she's mm-hmm. saying, "But, but Firestorm put me out of business," and she's pointing. Yep, that is a direct lift from a panel of Justice League of America number one eighty nine of Black Canary <gasps> doing the same exact pose: the finger, the the looking, the the hair, the whole bit. I mean, it's it's clearly just a swipe. Um, oh, and ironically, uh, ironically, swiping from Rich Buckler here. Uh, so. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I have read Justice League of 189 so many times that I have all the panels pretty much memorized in my head. And as soon as I saw that face, I thought, where have I seen that? Hmm. And then I was like, and then I just dug up the comic and there it is. So, um, wow. yeah, I mean, look, I, sometimes the realities of, of doing comic books where you weren't given a lot of time and sometimes you, you cut corners a little and you hoped you didn't get caught. There was that famous Dr. Strange cover where somebody used a photo of uh, Amy Grant, the singer, hmm. uh, as the background image and she sued because she saw it and she didn't like being associated with like some magic and like dark magic kind of stuff because she has she was like a, like a Christian singer at that point. Now they actually photostatted it or just drew it? The guy, whoever did the cover, like used her as reference and he didn't hide it well enough. Like you could tell, oh. if you look at the cover, you could tell it's Amy Grant. Uh, he, so he didn't manipulate the face enough to change it. So, you know, I don't know. I don't, I'm not going to come down too harshly on this because again, I've been there and, and it's just the realities of the situation sometimes. But maybe you should have tried a little harder to cover up some of the sourcing. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, Michelle Fee-Face, the first one who really brought to my attention is when we were covering Who's Who, because I was praising some different um, Joe Brzezowski entries in Who's Who, and he pointed out, like, for example, um, Stalinovolk, I can never say it, but Steel Wolf, it's from the Blank Slate run, he's got this great Who's Who entry, and I'm like, I love it. Well, it turns out it was simply uh, Roy Raymond. He traced Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his, name. his name. He traced his Roy Raymond picture and just flipped it. And it's clearly the exact same image once you look at it. And it's like, that was very bothersome to me because, you know, it's it, every bit of it, either the shadows, the way every bit of it was the same. So it's, it's, I don't know. As, as a fan, I understand the work, what you're saying. I still struggle with it a bit. Um, there is a lot of it. And after a while, it gets to be noticeable. There's a lot because, like, for example, uh, Broderick had a really unique way of drawing Firestorm that the Cannon didn't continue. Like some of it was the way the shoulder pads 
were drawn. Some of it was the way the eyes are done. They're very trademark Broderick. And you can see that in some of Brzezowski's work later on. And it gets to a point where you're like, eh. So it is bothersome to me. So we'll, we'll point some out as we see them, as we cover them. But some of them we're going to miss, obviously. So if you guys I, want, feel free to share. I, I, I will argue that you should not swipe for your who's who listing. That's <laughs> okay. Because, because look, anybody would doing a, a, a 23-page comic book could maybe find themselves behind deadline if they took a little too much time on another page or if the plot was especially dense. You know, I mean, if Jerry writes, you know, 300 people walk into a room, you're like, oh, my God, I got to draw all this. So that's a little different. Who's who, though? That's a single image. And presumably you've had all the time in the world to get it done. And that's that's I put that way on the further end of the inexcusable scale. Fair enough. I, I'm right there with you. Uh, something that I thought was funny here, they transform and Professor Stein's complaining about being dragged out of the shower, you know, to be transformed in a firestorm. And one thing you note is he's wearing his glasses. And in, in Professor Stein, the, the astral image of Professor Stein is dripping wet. You see water droplets coming off of Professor Stein, and yet he's wearing his glasses. So I'm sitting here thinking, does he shower with his glasses on? <laughs> or did he feel the pull and quickly grab his glasses? Because a couple of issues ago, which, by the way, was over a year ago when we covered it. Anyway, a few issues ago, he transformed and didn't have his glasses on. And Firestorm's vision was blurry because of it, and so, which was sort of silly. But I, I wonder if Stein now wears them all the time because of that. Like, he wears them in the shower, he wears them when he's asleep, and he never wants to have that problem again. He, he doesn't want to be fighting, you know, plastique and get pasted because he wasn't wearing his glasses. You know, something like that. Maybe he has, like, a chain around his neck or something, so he oh, always yeah, has yeah, them on. Okay. Well, he's got no neck now, but as an astronaut. Well. But anyway. <laughs> um, and then Firestorm, in this issue, uh, one of the things, this issue is, is, again, I have a lot of problems. Firestorm gets beaten by a rope. So, yes, it's mind-boggling <laughs> illusions, and a tentacle wraps around his leg, and it turns out it's Slipknot's rope. But then the illusion is shattered, and Firestorm just hangs there for a long time. Yes, he does. Rope. Well, the villains chat about it, and he, he doesn't blast anyone. He just hangs upside down and lets them beat the crap out of him, and it's like, what? It, again, a lot of problems with this issue. Um, nothing more to say about that. I, I love the opening and closing of Blue Devil. I think that was super cute, you know, where it opens with Blue Devil finding Firestorm, and then it says 13 hours earlier, and you see it play out on why Blue Devil finds him. I love that. And it got, I love Blue Devil anyway. So, all right, let's move on to the Blue Devil crossover. Uh, issue number 23, Paris Cullens and Gary Martin on the cover. Oh my God. This cover is absolutely glorious. They are channeling a little bit of uh, Kirby, I would say, with this cover. I mean, it feels very Kirby. In fact, you got Kirby Crackle right there in Firestorm's fire in his hair. Uh, I just think that Paris Cullens really outdid himself. What do you think of the cover? Not that, yeah, I've, led the, the, not that I've led the witness or anything. No, no, I think it's good. No, it's terrific. It's it, the, the, They have a nice... Uh, their color combos are nice because they're both of the yellow and then they get mm-hmm. the red and the blue. They're super up close. Yeah, no, I think it's terrific fun. Yeah, absolutely gorgeous. You get both logos, Firestorm versus Blue Devil, and they're they're locked in combat, and, and Blue Devil's got his trident up, and Firestorm actually has his hand on the trident. So it's kind of nice. It represents both. So Firestorm's got his hand on Blue Devil's trident, and the other hands, their hands are locked together, like Blue Devil's grabbing Firestorm's hand, and there's an atomic symbol around it. So it's like it's each hand is symbolic of one of the characters. Um, yeah, super fun. Absolutely. You know, you know who else had a trident? Uh, yes, Namor does. Absolutely, <laughs> Namor. So, moving on. Uh, I, again, I love it. I'll never get tired of saying it. The Devil Mobile was awesome. I love it. It's a sweet, sweet ride. It's just like, it's almost like a dune buggy with giant, you know, like bullhorns on it for Blue Devil. It's so funny. Just think it. if they had made a Blue Devil superpowers figure for Line Wave 4, they could have done the Blue Devil buggy. Um, you think that hasn't occurred to me? But I'm just saying. <laughs> Uh, oh, been amazing. I'd still have it on a shelf. Uh, this is very much the Marvel style of, he- style of heroes fighting than team. Oh, up. totally. Yeah. Totally. All this needs is a bullpen bullet near the end of the book. <laughs> 
But I will say this issue feels a little bit like padding. Like um, the fight goes on a little too long. You know, the whole thing is uh, what's going on is Blue Devil is being attacked by Firestorm because Firestorm's seeing illusions and also uh, Bolt's controlling Blue Devil's costume with with a remote control, which is actually clever because of the electronic. But it, I just felt like it went a little too long. And then they have this gimmick where Firestorm leaves to go capture Bolt at his head, right? Well, if you really step back from it, it makes sense within the context of this issue of Blue Devil. But if you think about the crossover as a whole, I don't know that Firestorm would abandon his father and, and Felicity in the trade show to drive, go all the way across town to capture. I don't know that he's done, but either way, it works within the contact, uh, context of the issue. It's fun. I enjoy it quite a bit. Um, the interior art though is by Alan Kupperberg, who was the subsequent artist on uh, Blue Devil, and it's okay. There are certain panels that look great, and then there's ones that don't. So <laughs> It's inked by Bill Collins. Uh, you didn't mention that. Two things. It's I, I actually kind of like Alan Kupperberg. I didn't used to, but his stuff was growing on me. Of course, he's the brother. He's he the, he's the late Alan Kupperberg, unfortunately. He's the brother of the great Paul Kupperberg, friend of the network. Yep. Uh, two things worth mentioning. I don't think he draws Hyena particularly well. Hyena doesn't look scary or wolfy, just kind of goofy. Looks like a big dog. Uh, and then when he draws Bolt, Bolt's eye gear, how does he get through doorways with that thing? <laughs> it is so wide. <laughs> like, and he's constantly having to turn and do a 90 degree angle and side himself into a door. I did not notice that, but that yeah. is true. That it's is like, true. all right, Alan, slow down here. <laughs> he looks like he's got a boomerang attached to his face. Well, it's it's like uh it's like electro, you know. It's like if this is going to be a Sinister Six homage, you got to have electro mask. So I that's guess where so. that fits. So. <laughs> All right, then on issue forty-seven, which is the closer, you know, you know, I'm I'm not going to lead you this time. What do you think of this cover, issue forty-seven? I like this one too. I they're all very classic-y, comic booky type covers. I mean, they're metaphorical. This is Blue Devil and Firestorm swimming around the giant head of Multiplex. You talked about the Kirby Crackle. This has a little bit of that uh, in the background stuff. I like the green. It's nice. I mean, it's the, I I it's not as good as the Blue Devil cover or even the one with Firestorm and Typhoon telling him to blow. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but no, I, I like it. It's, I think it's Brozowski and Magyar, I believe. It is. It is. Uh, I like this cover. I don't know that I can explain it, though. I've always liked sort of the composition. I And you mentioned the green. I love the green. The green looks great. And I, I don't know whether it's just because it's an uncommon color to be that dominant, you know, on, on a cover. But I love it. I've always loved Multiplex's helmet. I think Multiplex, and I've said this before on the show, I think Multiplex has the best helmet of any supervillain ever. Like, even better than Magneto. It's just a totally boss helmet, and it looks great on this cover. So, and you got Blue Devil and Firestorm there, and maybe a few too many word balloons, or not word balloons, but like shouty boxes. You know, guest starring, you know who, Multiplex, and a multitude of villains in the shattering conclusion of the Bolt Saga. Again, I don't really know why it's called Saga. Uh, Bolt's been plus, uh, plus, nothing stops an electric warrior. What? Oh, hold on. What is that in the... the... Oh, you don't have that on your version, right? Well, I'm, I'm looking at the hard copy. I'll have, yep. I've got the barcode on my hard copy. It's oh, yeah, no, the, uh... mine, mine says nothing stops an electric warrior. <laughs> oh, how funny. You must have bought that at... Uh, the, the comic shop. You know, interestingly enough, Electric Warrior, there's a new Electric Warrior yes, there is. comic on the shelves. And do you know who's in it? Uh, no. Sugar and Spike? Firestorm. Really? Yeah, it apparently takes place in the far future. I'm not reading this series in full disclosure, so I don't really know. I think they're on issue three by this. But the, the big shocker at the end of issue one is there's this weird, funky-looking version of a Firestorm we've never seen. And he says, like, you know, I guess there's a race or something like that. Anyway, he's like, you know, Firestorm's in charge. And it's like, Firestorm, what? So, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm trusting the match heads to fill me in on whether I need to go back and collect those after the fact. But, interesting. Anyway, um, the, the, the big thing for me in this issue is I enjoyed the Firestorm and Blue Devil sort of buddy action at the end, where they sort of become pals, and they team up, and they go to punch Multiplex together, and they both hurt their hands, and like, that whole final page of them saying goodbye, and like, with sore hands, is totally ridiculous, but I love it for that same reason. Makes me happy. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. 
<laughs> you, you got you had a man howl there, so obviously you probably didn't mean that too much. That's okay. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. No, I just didn't. I don't know. I don't have anything else really to add to it. It's cute. They're both lighthearted characters, yeah. and so it's a lighthearted end to the story. I mean, yeah, I love the classic. You've literally got all the villains in trust up and being led away by cops, and it's yeah. just sort of funny that like there's a cop leading a werewolf away, and he's just like, eh, okay, yeah, right. Just another day in Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That's this good. is all new for them. You know, this they're not used to this in Pittsburgh. The supervillain stuff's all new. So yeah, yeah, they're taking it in their stride. So Brzezowski, we do need to talk about that real quick. So the very first page is a really nice splash of Blue Devil, which is partially a swipe. Uh, in fact, the whole hand with the trident and stuff like that is absolutely a swipe of Blue Devil number one. Uh, I looked it up. The cover of Blue Devil number one is him standing there with the trident. And the way the trident is positioned here and the angle and the hand and all that are absolutely swiped from there. Some of the body language, I don't know. It looks like it's, other than the face, it looks like a lot of it's swiped from number one of Blue Devil. So that's frustrating. Uh, some of the art, like, I, mine, I hate, I've talked about it before. I hate the mind bogger character. I hate the whole idea of causing illu- illusions, which makes your hero not think straight. It drives me crazy. So her little monsters, and I don't know whether it's a falling down on a Brozowski or falling down just on the stupid concept of mind bogger, but I hated all the monsters. I just thought that was dumb looking, but that's just me griping. You'll hear a lot of that over the next few recaps, probably off and on, but from a, from a big picture, looking at the crossover as a whole, uh, overall, uh, I, I was very, I, I got, I can't tell you how excited I was for this crossover. Like when they advertised it in the comic book pages, there was this great ad. And it's basically, they, they took, if I remember right, they, they took the Blue Devil drawing by Paris Collins from Who's Who. And I want to say they took the Al Milgram drawing of Firestorm, I think, from Who's Who. And it said, like, this team up's going to be together. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, like, I lost my freaking mind. I'm like, my two favorite characters. Oh my gosh. You know, I was so excited. And, you know, when you step back, what this could have been versus what got is like, in my mind, I built it up to be Raphael Cannon and, you know, Paris Cohen's are going to do the most gorgeous crossover ever. Instead, we got George Tuska, Joe Brzezowski, and Alan Cover, which are not the A-list for the 1980s. Sorry, they're just not. For for a big crossover, it does seem weird that they would kind of get fill-in guys to, to do it for the first parts. That does seem a little strange. And, and I feel bad to even call it a big crossover, because I don't know that it's really a big crossover, but it is for Well, it's a crossover, though. Yeah. I mean, you're you're intending to help, at least help one of the books, presumably help Blue Devil, because Firestorm is a big seller. It was starting to slip by this point. And we've talked about this before. Jerry was beginning to experience writer's block, and he was also going through some personal trauma uh, as, as well. And so life was getting... As one does. Well, he's going through a divorce is, is what's going on. He's told us before on the podcast, so that's not a secret, but uh, he was going through a tough time and he, he wasn't working. The editors at DC were changing around and he w- didn't feel like he was really connecting with the editor. He was struggling with the Justice League Detroit book, which wasn't doing what they had hoped it would do. And so Jerry was going through a tough time and he's only going to be on the book for about a little less than 10 issues here. You know, the stories weren't as great as those earlier issues. It's not a dig at him. Everyone goes through different changes in their life and this just wasn't his peak. So uh, the, the sales were starting to slump a little by this point, so I don't think I mean, I can't think of any comic book artist or comic book writer that 50 issues in was doing it as well as they did in the beginning. Yeah, that's a very maybe good point. maybe Preacher or Sandman, uh, but in terms of comic book runs, 50 issues that's that's hard. I'm thinking about how many comics he was writing too. I mean, come on, guy that was too. A busy guy, so although now that I say that out loud, I realize Jerry started writing Justice League of America with number 151, so 50 issues in was number 200, and that is Gosh. the peak of Western civilization. <laughs> so not always true. Yeah, but then you got some other issues in there that. 
weren't so so the beast storyline. <laughs> Although you, you've convinced me that the beast storyline is not not as weak as I thought it was. All love the beast. I know it's it's actually pretty good. <laughs> either way, it's a fun crossover. It's not everything. I, it's funny. I go through waves. Like when it first came out, I was very disappointed, and that was for years. And then I reread it for this, getting ready for the podcast, and I actually was like surprisingly pleased. I was like, oh, this is much better than I remember. And then I read it a second time, getting ready for the podcast, and I was like, eh, I don't know. And then I wrote it a third time, getting ready for the podcast because I'm just I'm so excited about it, and I really enjoyed it again. So it's. It's fine. It's perfectly fine. It's serviceable. You know, let's, let's put it that way. So, all right. Well, that is issues of uh, Firestorm Annual number three, issues 41 through 47 and Blue Devil number 23. Awesome, folks. We will have more Firestorm reviews coming up this year. They are going to happen a little more frequently. Uh, I, I don't want to make a commitment on how often, but we will have them. So, so please, uh, we're going to, in a minute, we're going to go to podcast promo break and we're going to do your listener feedback, but go out on our social medias. You can go out to uh, our Facebook page, which is Fire and Water Podcast Network, or our Twitter, which is FW Podcast. You can also hit me up if you want to talk specifically to Firestorm you can talk uh, hit me up as Firestorm fan on both Facebook and Twitter as well and I would love to know your thoughts on these Firestorm issues and how you felt about the crossover tell me the things you love you know don't be the little black rain cloud like I've been for the last 20 minutes tell me what you loved about these issues that's what I really want to hear because we're here to celebrate our joy so do you know let's think some happy thoughts people all right well let's go to a quick podcast promo break and when we come back we're going to cover your listener feedback from some previous episodes of this show about Firestorm so you guys wrote these comments over a year ago and probably don't even remember what you wrote In late 1984, Marvel's direct sales manager sat in a crowded meeting of comic retailers. Let's be honest, Secret Wars was crap, right? But did it sell? The room exploded with applause. Well, get ready for Secret Wars Series 2. Pulp to Pixels, Marvel's superheroes, Secret Wars and Beyond will do the unthinkable Secret Wars 2. We'll take a detailed look at the event, the tie-ins, the new characters, and we will attempt to answer one of the largest questions in the history of the Marvel Universe. What the heck was Jim Shooter thinking? No, no, seriously, what was Jim Shooter thinking? Well, you can find out at the Pulp to Pixel Podcast Network, where you can subscribe to all of our amazing shows, or just to Secret Wars and Beyond itself, as it is now in its own omnipotent feed. Secret Wars 2 and Beyond, a Pulp to Pixel Podcast production. You'll believe an omnipotent being can use the restroom. To confront the ultimate killers, I must construct the ultimate alias. Hey, who is that lady? I think she could fly. To combat the murderers who destroy my family, crush my own life on their way to consuming everything, I must become a greater, more fearsome destroyer. Hey, man, somebody killed this lady. To track down the animals who prey on the innocent, I must stalk them first. I am no longer their quarry. I am the Huntress. New Huntress Podcast coming to you in 2019. Visit the 89blogspotcom for new episodes. Go to the Facebook page at Huntress Podcast. Go to Twitter, the Huntress Podcast. And you can always find episodes of the Huntress Podcast at RightOnNetwork.com and go to Apple iTunes where this podcast is a joint venture with the Helena Bertinelli Podcast and the Cassandra Kane Batgirl Podcast. So go to Apple Podcasts, the Batgirl slash Huntress Podcast. All right, folks, we're back from break and now it's time for... 
And this feedback is going to come from two previous episodes where we covered Firestorm reviews. Again, they're over a year ago, so some of these people won't even remember they ever wrote this and may not even be listening to the show anymore, so who knows? Rob, why don't you start us off with our first comment? Uh, yes, we got a comment from Sphinx Magoo. He says, oh, a word about Pittsburgh. My missus and I spent about five years there as she went to school. Eventually, I went to school there, too, at the Art Institute of Pittsburgh, but that's another story. In my time there, I thought it'd, thought it'd make an excellent setting for a comic book hero. Sure, it was the butt of easy jokes by comedians, but it had a lot going for it. Sounds like Aquaman. Especially uh, as it seemed to have recovered <laughs> from the loss of the steel industry in a way that other steel towns did not. It had two major universities, a pretty nifty public transportation system, three major sports teams, museums, international airport, a zoo, and a whole lot more. Not only that, but it was also the place where many scenes from the last Christopher Nolan Batman movie were filmed. Pittsburgh was also used in the first Inspector, Gav- first Inspector Gadget movie. I'll just let that bit of news sink in. <laughs> okay, maybe that was more than one word about Pittsburgh. That's uh, very interesting. I will say, uh, last year, uh, Darlene Tracy ended up uh, stopping in Pittsburgh on her way out to Ohio, and she loved it. She loved Pittsburgh. <laughs> so that's uh, too. And, and I don't know, maybe Sphinx is from the Chamber of Commerce out there or something, but uh, I don't know. He sold, right. he sold me. <laughs> All right. I have not been there myself, so I can't vouch for it. Uh, we heard from our buddy Martin Gray from the Too Dangerous for Girl blog, and he talks about Killer Frost, the new Killer Frost. He goes, Poor Louise Lincoln, indeed. I like that she didn't have the nominative determinism. I had to look that up. Do you know what that means? Uh, no, not really. We talk about it all the time, actually. It means, like, you have a name, like Crystal Frost, which guides you to being an ice queen. So, uh, I love that. So, I like that she didn't have the nominative nominative determinism thing going on. I prefer to think that she simply cracked, over-empathized with Crystal Frost, and pretty much became her. Love the works of Ostringer, as I do. Killer Frost as a viral personality reeks of that period when he was overly influenced by Alan Moore's Swamp Thing run. Too, too silly. You know, Martin, you're not completely wrong there. In fact, in that run, he even brought in like the Sunderland Corporation from Alan Moore's Swamp Thing. So, yeah, you're right. Then we're from Brian Linton. He says, I like, if that's the right word, the tragic nature of the new Killer Frost origin. I guess I prefer my villains to be human rather than evil incarnate. It allows me to connect with them in a there, uh, in a there but for the grace of God sort of way. And then he says, I've begun to like looking for the creative ways in which Ronnie and Professor Stein and uh, Firestorm Gestalt is depicted. And I agree. We really pointed those out last time. There's some really interesting ways about the the merging of Ronnie and Professor Science. It's really cool. Then I heard from my buddy Mark Baker Wright from the Black Rocks Toy Box. He goes, Shag, perhaps I misheard you, but at one point you seemed to reference the theory put forth in the Ostrander era that Killer Frost was a, quote, a disease you could catch, but then suggested that they never really did anything with it. Specifically, Ostrander had one of his scientists' characters postulate an intelligent virus that was transferable under certain circumstances, thus attempting to explain how Louise Lincoln became Killer Frost. I would beg to differ that nothing was done with this idea, since this was the mechanism whereby Lincoln was cured of being Killer Frost by the end of the Ostrander series. Wow, Mark, I completely forgot that. I still don't remember that. So when I reread the series, I'll, I will be a pleasant, it'll be a pleasant surprise to find that. Thank you so much. Mark's been very good at uh, fact-checking me when I don't remember all my details on Firestorm. He's got an amazing memory for these Firestorm issues. I got a comment from Diablo Frank from the Rolled Spine Podcast Network. He says, I have liked Raphael Kayanon, I have liked Alan Kupperberg, but they are a brisket banana split together. <laughs> Giordano is clearly superior with those cover inks. I should be way more interested in a story arc involving Killer Frost and Plastique, but the art kills it for me. Also, while my, my, while my Louise Lincoln is my favorite Killer Frost, this isn't my favorite Louise Lincoln. Hashtag Suicide Squad. Oh, that's <laughs> the run by Keith Giffen when she was a member of Suicide Squad. So good. Pittsburgh has come a long way from the nuked out husk populated by deformed mutants it was in the late 1980s. 
but to me, it will always be the epicenter of George A. Romero's dead. Um, the, the George A. Romero dead, far dearer to my heart than you people with your Trek Wars. If anyone is going to the D- DOTD 40th anniversary reunion in Moreauville next year, I'll see you there. Wow, that's already come and gone at this point because this feedback yes, is has. so old. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed it, Frank. <laughs> there from my buddy Matthew Thomas Cody. He says, Ronnie does have a hard time in issue number 33, even inadvertently causing the Goodyear blimp explosion at the end when he punches Flambeau into the detonator switch. Um, I just thought that was a lot of fun to bring up the fact that La Flambeau and the explosion of the Goodyear blimp was uh, something we hadn't talked about in a year. That was fun. Uh, then we heard from my buddy Robert Gross. Robert says, uh, Fury of Firestorm number 40 put the high school rivalry with Cliff Carmichael to rest. Then the series jumped the shark. Just a wee tad when it was revealed that Cliff, too, would be going to the same college in Pittsburgh as Ronnie and Doreen. Why on earth would Ivy-bound Cliff wind up in the same school as Ronnie and Doreen? That officially crosses the line into the Cliff-Ronnie storyline becoming stale. Don't even get me started on Cliff becoming the thinker in in the, quote, everyone must eventually get powers crap mentality. Cliff was done in number 40, should have never seen him again. You know, uh, Robert, that is really insightful, and I completely agree. Like all the stuff with Cliff in this issue, uh, that these issues we covered here, like where they get in a fist fight and stuff like that, it feels completely retreaded from the old plot line. And they sh- you're right, they should have done away with him at the end of forty. Like because in issue forty, Ronnie decides not to fight Cliff; he lets Cliff beat him up. It's a it's a moment where Ronnie begins to grow up, and it's all overturned in these issues we covered today, and it's really uh, upsetting. So yeah, they should have just let the Cliff storyline lay. Even um even. Conway interview says that Cliff Clavin was a character he got tired of writing. Cliff Clavin, you just said? I'm sorry, Cliff Carmichael. <laughs> We're right back to the old school. Look at that. I used to do this all the time. It's a little known fact that uh, now Robert also says, working backwards, number 37 is the issue where Ronnie mentions Professor Science antipathy towards physics, astrologers, oh, psychics, I'm sorry, physics, that would make no sense, psychics, astrologers, and other woo-woo BS. As Rob pointed out previously, how can you be an atheist in the DCU? This is a universe with the Spectre in it, and Zantana, and Dr. Fate. I remember thinking as a kid how the fill-in art for this issue did not work at all, and I was not a kid who paid a bit of attention to the artist's work. So I concur with Rob's assessment. Scratchy, indeed. That was uh, Alex Nino, I believe, wasn't it? I believe it sure. was, and we'll yeah. talk about that in another comment later on. Okay, because we we need to mention that, So because yes. things have changed. Things have changed. <laughs> that. Things have changed. Yep. Uh, then first term issue 38 and 39 with the weasel storyline. He has to, uh, Robert says, I have to say as a former academic, Jerry's take on academia writ large was spot on. The battle for tenure, the profiles of the different professors, one being shy and reserved, one arrogant but brilliant, one Santa Claus like. The, the dubious romantic relationships among faculty and their deans and the publish or perish mentality. All of it was too true. Every last bit of it. Ooh, well, thank you, Robert. I appreciate that insight. Then we're from our buddy Adam Ackerman, who goes by Centaur, and he left us a lot of different thoughts. But I just want to bring this one up about Pittsburgh, because the timing for Firestorm to be Pittsburgh makes a lot of sense in the history of the city. Pittsburgh is highly important for nuclear technology in the U.S. In 1948, work on Westinghouse's Bettis Labs was started. Bettis Labs first helped in uh, and with developing engines for nuclear-powered ships for the Navy, and then created the first commercial nuclear power station at Shippingport. Also, by happenstance, in December of 1977, which by 
by the way, is when the first issue of Firestorm. Oh, actually, it was. Um, yeah, yeah, it was December 1977. The very first issue of Firestorm was on the shelves. So he goes. Also, by happenstance, in December of 1977, the first U.S. light water breeder reactor went full power there. Hmm, sounds like a not a coincidence to me. So I think I think there's something to it. Then we heard from our buddy Zoom Yukonori, who I think when he left this comment, he wasn't even part of the network yet. I'm not sure, <laughs> but and now he's part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network with his Done in One Wonders Podcast Wonder Show. He's also over at the CBR doing the line of his drum. Zoom writes, "I remember advanced promotional blurbs for Fury of Firestorm issue number 37 in Amazing Heroes magazine, mentioning that this would be the story in which Firestorm would lose control of his powers. And when I saw that whimsical cover by Mr. Kanan, uh, this is the one where he's like sitting in you know, in front of the Guggenheim that's ice cream and all that stuff. He goes, I was expecting." a really fun read. Unfortunately, I found the story to be a huge disappointment because it did not deliver on the promise. So thank you for giving me another look at this story to remind me to appreciate that story for what it was and not what I expected it to be. Well, you're welcome, Zoom. All right. Uh, Dr. Ange from Supergirl blog, Comic Bucks Commentary and Legion of Superblogger says, love this episode. I was still reading Firestorm at the time and it was in high school as he was graduating, so there's a feeling of kinship. I can remember being puzzled by the aspirin line in number 37. Even then I knew I aspired for med school and so tucked that one away. But aspirin for catatonia? Uh, I can also remember being pretty tickled with the weasel reveal. He's just a guy. I guess he would just be too close to the hyena if he was more. Mm -hmm. I I didn't like Cliff suddenly becoming ripped. He must have wasted a stamp on Charles Atlas's book in hopes of becoming the hero of the beach. (laughs) Still, I thought this would be a time for a bold new direction. No Cliff, no Noreen, no Felicity. All new settings, all new cast. But I'd keep Firehawk. (laughs) There you go. Uh, Who wouldn't? Uh, And then our our pal Michelle Fife, uh, who does the series Copra, and he's worked on other books like Bloodstrike and G.I. Joe. He says, scrolling through the pages number 30, I was thrilled to see Kyanan kicking some major ass. I would have asked where you thought that inspired new approach came from, but I got my answer, Mike Chen. Uh, Kyanan still does lovely work, and I agree that that he's his own best thinker, especially number 38. Whatever quirks can be found are all charming. Alex Nino should not be judged by this inventory story. The man is a master. I cannot trust that enough. He's not only good at horror, but damn well near everything else. Yes, even superheroes. I implore you to at least look at this jaw-dropping Conan story, and then he provides a link. Now, I, you, you listen to the show, Shag. I did not. Did we were the, were we that harsh about Alex Nino? I mean, I don't think it's unfair to say that he didn't. He's not a great fit for Firestorm, but I don't think we were negative about his work in general, or were we? I, I didn't. Really- listen to that episode i listened to the because uh, that was the previous one. Oh, the previous that, so one okay the last one. all right um i don't think we're very complimentary hmm. uh we said we really didn't like what we were seeing and since then well that, we okay recorded, yeah yeah we've recorded who's that on captain fear which alex nino drew which we both thought was some of the most gorgeously yeah. illustrated comics we've ever read yeah we I mean, we waxed his sword big time in that one so there's waxed no his sword is that what you said yes yes <laughs> yeah go check out uh who's that i think issue number or episode, episode number, number two, two on the who's yep. who feed yeah oh my gosh did we Praise Alex Nino. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so no, uh, no, worries, comment, no worries there, Michelle. Yeah. Next comment comes from my buddy Tim Price. He goes, So the weasel is basically the jackal from Spider Man, also created by Jerry Conway. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, a little bit, Tim. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, and then uh, Chris Franklin uh, writes in from, of course, from our network. He says, Ronnie letting Cliff beat him didn't teach him any kind of lesson. Ronnie should have just restrained him and let Cliff kick and scream until he calmed down. It would have been much more satisfying because Ronnie would have got his mature point across and Cliff could have been made to look the fool. Then he should have never followed him to college and were done with that jerk mm. great, great episode fellas happy anniversary matchstick head <laughs> you're right it would have been better if we could left cliff behind uh then we heard from paul hicks from the waiting for doom uh 
podcast, also DCOCD. He writes, hey, Shag, you're right. I'm not listening because uh, I made a comment that Paul wasn't listening anyway. And don't worry. He's still not listening to the show. Uh, but he does say, I could never find Firestorm issues before the uh, issue 40s. I think Moonbow was the earliest I found. Oh, I'm sorry, Paul. And uh, I missed almost all of the Conway stuff. But I have gathered and kept the Oshinger run from Legends till issue 100. That couple of Suicide Squad with some damn fine comics. And yes, they are. And I'm looking forward to covering them, Paul. I can't wait. Folks, that is going to do it for this episode of the Fire and Water Podcast. Again, go out to our website. What's that website, Rob? Fireandwaterpodcast.com. Yep, you can leave your comments there, which will be read on the next issue where we talk about Firestorm. Do it, please. Uh, you can also go to our social media. Again, FW Podcast on Twitter or Firestorm Fan on Facebook. You can hit Firestorm Fan or Firewaterpodcast.com. And, of course, you can find Rob as Aquaman Shrine on Twitter and uh, also, what, 18,000 other Twitter handles, I think. Is that that's, right? That's right. Working on 18,001. Excellent. Okay. Before, you, um, before this podcast is over, I, he will probably launch the Cliff Carmichael uh, Twitter handle. So that'll be great. <laughs> Looking forward to that. <laughs> anyway, folks, that's going to do it. Until next time, fan the flame and ride the wave. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. They stand for truth and justice and see a land in air. Aquaman and Firestorm, they make a super pair. Aquaman and Firestorm, super friends forever. Yeah. You fired him and now he's suing you? Unfortunately, our working relationship wasn't successful, but I can assure you both of one thing. Danton Black is not the killer. He's a clinical researcher, not a criminal mastermind. Now, if I can help you in any way, please let me know. I want these people caught as much as you. Then here we are! Down!